Good evening, good afternoon, good to see you all. So this is uh, one of Jesus's more challenging statements, probably one of the more controversial. It's one of these that uh, really communicates his intent um, to create conflict and division. And as Deirdre um, pointed out a few weeks ago in uh, the sermon with John the Baptist, who was imprisoned, he, was, he took offense. He took offense at Jesus. And uh, we saw that Jesus really does intend to be offensive. And there's a reason for that. It's because we need offensive things in our lives. Otherwise, we'll just kind of keep going and brush aside any challenges that come our way. But when we're offended, we need to, it forces us to stop and think. It forces us to stop and think about what's being said and about the person that is saying that to us or the people that are offending us. And so this passage falls within uh, the context of of Jesus um, preparing his disciples for the ministry. He's just called all 12 of them. And so these were the, the, the core 12 that he was sending out in all of the villages of, of Israel to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, to teach people about Jesus Christ. And basically he said, listen, this is, this is a tough call. It's going to be filled with challenges and conflict, and there's a lot of statements in the passages that don't apply to us as readers because they were specific. It was, you know, when you go into this village, go to a home, if there's a man of peace, um, enter into the house and stay there the whole time as you proclaim the gospel in that town. If there's not a man of peace and they don't take you into their house or they don't want you in the village, you know, brush the dust off of your shoes uh, in judgment of them and go on to the next one. So there's, there's some things that we're not called to apply, but this passage today is um, something that is going to relate to all Christians. And he's basically saying that I will be the cause of conflict in families. And, he's, and it's not a passive thing. It says, you know, Jesus isn't saying, I'm going to do this, this, and that, and it's going to happen to cause conflict in your households. He's saying, I have come not to bring peace, but I have come with a sword. I have come in order to create hostility. I have come in order to create conflict in your families. And he says it twice in this, in this long passage to the disciples. And so it's pretty clear that Jesus expects and Jesus is planning on and Jesus is intending to create conflict and division within households. And this is the reason why a lot of people don't follow Jesus. They don't want to create conflict in their homes. Now, it seems contradictory, Jesus' statement, to where he says, um, I am coming to bring conflict. I am coming with a sword to create hostility in your families. Because earlier, in the same book, Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. And so Jesus holds up and honors and blesses peacemakers. And later, the Apostle Paul is criticizing uh, those who come in and upset whole families. And so there's a work that the elders of churches are supposed to do to prevent families being upset. And so we've got Jesus heralding and holding up peace and peacemakers, and we've got Jesus saying, I am coming not for peace, but to create hostility. So what is going on here? So 
There are a few ideas that I want to explore more deeply to get into this passage and to understand exactly what Jesus is saying. So the first idea I want to talk about is the idea of peace. And as I was preparing for this passage, I remembered an incident. When I was in college, I was visiting a friend, and her mom had a really severe case of OCD, of obsessive compulsive disorder. And I was, in the, I was in the kitchen, I was getting a drink of water, and I moved the faucet. And, you know, I just turn on the cold water, get a drink, turn off the cold water, boom. Well, I had moved the faucet from the perp perpendicular position. Like, it was at a 90-degree angle. The sink was spotless. And so my friend, she came up, and she moved it back into a perpendicular position with the sink, and she said this, and it's, she said, we've got to keep the peace. We've got to keep the peace. And I turned to her and I said, um, that's not peace. That's not peace. There's not peace in your mom. Your mom isn't at peace because the sink faucet is perpendicular. You're not at peace because you're walking around on pins and needles trying to make sure that everything is just so-so so you don't draw the wrath of your mother. And I said, clearly there's not peace between you and your mom. So that's not, that's not peace. That's not peace. It's, it's accommodating based upon a lot of fear. Fear that the mom has, fear that she has and conflict that exists between them and not wanting to stir that up anymore. Now, I'm not saying she should have been doing something different with trying to keep peace, with being familiar with a household with challenges like OCD. Um, you do things like that, but you can't, call it, you can't call it peace. And oftentimes, that's what our efforts towards peace are. They are... Um, things that we do to keep external conflict down, and it really doesn't address the internal dynamics going on, and it really doesn't create a setting of peace. Note that the conflicts that Jesus refers to, so he says sons are going to be against their fathers, daughters are going to be against their mothers, and daughters-in-law are going to be against the mothers-in-law. And so these are all these are all conflicts between um, subordinates and authorities in a household. And Jesus later says that. He said, I have come to bring conflict in your households. And there's two directions to the conflict that Jesus mentions. So there's, there's you know, later in the passage, he says there are, there are children who love their parents more than Jesus, and then there are Parents who love their children more than Jesus. And so it's this bi-directional. And so what, what you see here are parents and children um, in the name of love, um, seeking to keep the peace in their households, and in seeking the peace, there's going to be a rejection of Jesus Christ. All right, so let's hold that idea of, of peace up. Peace being just generally the absence of, of conflict and the presence of, of harmony and, and contentment 
and quiet and tranquility. So with this, this dynamic of love that, then, that Jesus brings up, this, this love that parents have for children, this love that children have for parents, so the term love is always expressing or trying to communicate something that you have strong affections for. So when you say you love somebody, there's a strong affection for somebody. Now, the difference between the English terms for love, which is basically love, there's only one term, um, there are multiple terms that the, that the Greek language uses for the word love, and it's really helpful because even though the word love communicates affection, the varying terms that the Greek language uses reflects a, a different motivation or different reason for the affection. So the love in the context that Jesus speaks of here is called filio, friendship, brotherly love. And it's a love that's based upon relationship. And so children love their parents because those people are their parents. Parents love their kids because those people are their kids. If you were to just throw them out in the middle of a room with a big crowd and they didn't have those relationships, it's unlikely that there would be an affection for them. But there is an affection simply because of the relationship that's been established. If there's no relationship, there's no love. No filial love anyway. So it's, this would be in contrast to loving somebody because of their character or loving somebody because of their, their value or their worthiness or their beauty even. Okay, so it's not, a, it's not an affection. It's not a feeling based up upon anything about that person. It's everything to do with the relationship. And so in these relationship-based affections, there are expectations and obligations. There are relationships of loyalty. There's love based upon a loyalty. And so if everybody is contributing to that relationship according to the obligations and expectations, there's peace. Parents have expectations upon their kids. Kids have their expectations upon their parents. And as long as those are working... As long as those relationships remain loyal, there's peace. So what are the things that these relationships provide? They provide a sense of belonging, a sense that you're needed, a sense that, that these, these people uh, have affection for you, that they approve of you, that they think that you are a worthy person because of this relationship. And there's a reciprocity of these things, so there's give and take that you're important to somebody. So these are, these are important aspects of these relationships. But the question that we need to ask is, are these the type of things that automatically produce or reinforce peace, the absence of conflict? I would say that this type of affection that, are, that is based upon relationship and these mutual obligations and expectations, I would say that that is somewhat of a fragile love. It's a fragile love because it's dependent upon another person's response. It's dependent upon all of the people being loyal to those relationships. And so we have to ask the question, what, what happens then when those expectations and obligations 
aren't met? What happens when we can no longer fulfill what the expectations are? If we're a, ch- if we're a child, even a, a grown child, and our parents are no longer acting in a way that we think parents should, what do we do? Or if we are a parent and our kids are being rebellious and they're not loyal to the relationship, they're not loyal to the, to the household, what do we do about the dynamic of peace? It's upsetting. And that's why, there's, that's why there's violence and that's why there's conflict that Jesus refers to. is Because what, what Jesus is saying, he's going to come into the lives of people and he's going to create circumstances where people have to decide between following him and following their family. The ex, he's going to challenge the obligations and the expectations of these relationships. And what, what happens is that eventually these, these relationships become enslaving. You know, just like my friend and, and how, they ha- how she had to leave the faucet. She had to do that or else the wrath of her mother would come down on her. And so if we, if we, if we you know, obviously when we're small children and we have parents, there's a need for us to follow what they want for us to do because it's the best thing for us. But as you know, teenage children, as grown children, the, it's, the dynamics are going to change. And if, if those adult children are starting to think differently than the parents, they have a challenge. Do I maintain loyalty to my parents and live under this growing burden of pleasing them or do I branch out on my own and start to do what I think is better for me or whatever the circumstances or what is true? And the same with, with parents and children. A lot of times, you know, the, the parents want their kids to grow up and do what they did and become what they became. And there are obligations that, the, uh, that when, the, when the kids aren't doing that, the parents feel... In, like they've got to do whatever they need to do to make sure the children do what may uh, make them happy. And so you just have, these, you just have these, these relationships that ultimately become enslaving because they don't want to give up on what the relationship provides, the sense of belonging, the sense of feeling needed, the sense of being important. That's what these relationships do. And we come to this third term of life, and Jesus says if we... If we find life, then we ultimately end up losing it. But if we lose our lives for his sake, we will ultimately find it. And so he's not obviously talking about the physical life. He's not talking about staying alive. And he's not talking about, he's not, he's not telling people not to pursue their gifts and their talents and their abilities. There are things that God has given us and called us to to pursue for our lives. If we take it in the context of this passage, what Jesus is referring to is approaching life in pursuit of love and peace. How are you pursuing love? How are you pursuing affection? We all long to be loved. We all long for somebody to have strong affections towards us, we all long to have somebody that we can show affections to. And so that desire to love, that desire to be loved, 
is a strong force for us as human beings in what we pursue to bring us life. And peace is the same thing. Who wants to direct their lives towards conflict? Who wants to um, direct their lives towards hostility? No, we want to be at peace within ourselves. We want to be at peace with those that we love. And so these are two strong driving forces that I think Jesus is addressing that can be guides to our life. And so what he's, what he's saying is that if you pursue life with those primary objectives in mind, I want to find love and I want to find peace. You're ultimate, in pursuit of those things, you're ultimately going to be disappointed. Because whatever it is you find, pursue for life, to fulfill that desire for love, that to, fulfill, to fulfill that desire for peace, eventually you're going to discover that the sources that you've found, because you've found life, you've, you've found something that can provide this. Eventually what he's saying is that they're going to disappoint you. They're going to let you down. They're going to rebel against you, or you're going to, or, or you're going to break under the pressure to conform to whatever requirements they have for that relationship continue. That's what happens. It's either rebellion or it's either you break under the pressure because you can't continue to live up to the requirements that the relationship has. And so Jesus is saying, you are going to experience loss if you pursue life just for love and just for peace. Jesus has a lot of statements where he says, you know, it, it doesn't benefit you to gain the world and lose your soul. He's not talking about that kind of thing. I think he's actually saying the, the practical outcome of your pursuit of love and peace is going to just be extremely disappointing to you. You're not going to find what you're looking for. But Jesus says that if we lose our life, if we, if we give up our pursuits of what we think is going to bring us love, if we give up our pursuits of what's going to give us peace, if we give them up for his sake, then we'll actually find those things. And so I think that Jesus doesn't want us to not consider those things. He doesn't want us to like, not respond to our desire for love. He doesn't want us to not respond to our desire for peace. What, what he wants us to recognize is that we don't really have the capacity to know what's going to give us those things. One of the, you know, it's just, I've commented and quoted it from a few times from up here, that book, um, The Good Life, which is this study of happiness. Um, I think it's in chapter 3. They have this huge section that shows that what the science has proven is that human beings have a good idea about what they, what they envision for happiness. They know that it's got to have something to do with relationships, for example. But what they say is that what the science proves is that human beings are absolutely terrible at at getting to those and, and acquiring them. We have an idea that relationships are going to do it, but we have no idea on how to get there. 
And that's what Jesus is wanting us to understand. We have an aspiration for love and peace, but we have to recognize that we have no idea in what we're doing to achieve it. Our when he says, if you lose your life, it's, it's the call that Jesus makes for us to surrender our own ideas about what's going to bring us love and peace, our own ability to acquire it, and to first direct our desire for love and peace to Jesus Christ himself. These are, these are, these are natural desires that we have. These are natural longings that we have, but they have been corrupted. And in our pursuit of, of these things, love and peace, in our corrupt state, the things that we put into those boxes to provide us love and peace, they can only go so far in their ability to provide it, but soon they become enslaving idols. And what we actually see in this passage is that Jesus has a stronger claim on our affections. So again, our affections, what we, what we love. And he has a stronger claim on his ability to provide what we need. So Jesus has love and affection for us, and he calls us to him. If you lose life for my sake, if you come and follow me, then you're going to find life. You're going to find love. You're going to find peace. And so Jesus has a claim on us from a relationship standpoint. There is a filial love that we are to have for Jesus, that Jesus already has for us, based upon a relationship, just like a parent has a relationship with their child and a child has a relationship with her parent, Jesus has a relationship with us because he is our creator. He is our creator. Parental love and child love, that interfamily love, is an image, is an image of what Jesus provides for us. Okay, so just like it seems like parents kind of create their children. They, they give birth to a child. They, it took both of them for that child to be born and to come into this world. But they weren't the creators. They didn't create life. God put in place by creating man and woman in, in, in his image. They are, they are life-bearing but it all is a part of what God created and how God created those parents in his image and now how God created that child in his image. It all goes back to how God created. And so Jesus' filial love towards this is a stronger claim. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Our bodies, our personalities, our everything about us, our identities, our differences, Jesus has made each one of us special and unique and fearfully made. But he doesn't only have filial love, he has agape love. Agape love. Agape love is a love not based upon relationship. Jesus has one with us, but agape love is based upon, purely upon, the high value that you place on somebody. 
You hold them in high regard. You think they are worthy. You think they are beautiful. You think they are magnificent. You love them because of who they are. That's agape love. And that's the kind of love that Jesus has for us, all humanity. The classic verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That is an agape love. We are valuable to Jesus Christ, not because of what we can do for him, but because of what he has already done for us in creating us. And it's not something that we have to perform for. It's not something that we have to earn. But what about peace as we close up here? So Jesus promises this love. And it seems like in the passage that that love between a parent and a child, that affection right, is the foundation then for what they want to have is for peace. So they see the love is a means to the peace. But Jesus, he gives us the love and he promises the love and it sits there as a foundation. And, he, and it's there. But what he doesn't promise is peace. Peace in terms of how we generally understand it. What, what he does promise, he actually promises that we're going to have conflict. He actually promises that we are going to have hostility because of him. So if we come to him, we come to him with an amazing amount of love, an overwhelming amount of love, but also conflict. And here's what you see in, 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 in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, let me take a step back. Here's what you see in the world. There is internal conflict, but exterior peace, like my friend with her mom. They kept the peace on the outside, but inside there's no peace. That's what the world provides. With Jesus, what he promises is an interior peace because his love is so overwhelming. So the prayer out of, out of Ephesians chapter 3, that, that, that we would experience and know through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, which is the Spirit of Jesus Christ in us, we're one with Jesus Christ, what, what, what the prayer there is that we would know every dimension, the height and breadth, breadth and width and depth of God's love so that we could experience the fullness of God. And so what Jesus says is, I'm going to give my love to you. You're going to experience belonging. You're going to experience identity. You're going to experience um, affection. You're going to experience a fullness that's going to give you the ability to handle the exterior conflict that I'm also promising. So in the world, we have interior conflict and exterior peace. With Jesus, we have interior peace in the midst of exterior conflict, but we still are able to experience that peace. And that internal peace means that comes with, with freedom. There's our, our consciences are clear. There's no burden of guilt that we are carrying around. There's no burden to perform for somebody that we're carrying around. There's no, there's no proving of ourselves. It's completely free. We're free to do what is right, not, not what other people are pressuring us to do. That internal peace is really what we long for, and it's really what Jesus is providing.
And that conflict that Jesus promises is not the last word. Jesus says, if you do not take up your cross, you're not worthy of me. And the readers would have known the story. The readers of the gospel would have known the story that Jesus took his cross and was crucified and died on our behalf. And so what Jesus is is asking for is to trust him with our lives, to give up our lives. Obviously, he's not calling everybody to be crucified. By God's grace, um, I'm not sure, I don't think anybody's performing crucifixions anymore, but just as I thought about that, I think that there has been some actual crucifixions by groups persecuting Christians even in this modern day. But that's not what all of us are called to. As we later will see in the New Testament instructions, okay, there are all kinds of ways that we are called to give up our lives. Husbands are to sacrifice their lives for the sole benefit of their wives and their children. Wives are called to give up their lives for the benefit of their husbands and their children. All of those instructions that come in the New Testament are expressions of how we all put this into practice. There's a willingness to give up our life and to make the sacrifice that Jesus is asking us to do in order to experience a love from him that we are then able to give out to the world. And the conflict and the trial and the toil and the challenges that are sure to come and the persecutions that are sure to come are not the last word, but they are the means through which we will ultimately experience the life that Jesus is providing. Let me say a quick prayer. Lord God, we understand that our pursuits of all of the things in this world ultimately bring a lot of disappointment. And we recognize, and God, if we're honest with ourselves, that we have experienced disappointment in putting too much affection into the things that we think are going to give us life outside of you. So our prayer tonight would be that we would be able to clearly see and believe that Jesus is the source of life and that we would be willing to lay down our own pursuits and to pursue him. In your son's name we pray, amen.